This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that's old enough to remember when department stores were profitable. I'm Andrew Page, and with me, as always, is Mr. Scott Phillips. G'day, Andrew. G'day, Fools. Good to be with you. Today on the podcast, Bellamy's is back on the ASX with a thud. And speaking of thud, that sound you can hear is Maya's share price falling. We're going to dive into that. Oh, man. And the Aussie dollar cracks 80 cents for the first time in two years, and the RBA flags rate increases. What's that all mean? And it's Scott's turn to get on his high horse. We're take, talking great expectations and not of the Dickens kind. Looking forward to that one, mate. But first, Bellamy's. Yes. So Bellamy's, these are the uh, infant formula yeah. uh, producers. Talk the, about the roasted a feather duster. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Oh, this was mate. just... Everyone... and. Everyone and anyone was talking about Bellamy's a while. He was just making billionaires out of shareholders, just to exaggerate slightly. Um, <laughs> I told you a million times not to exaggerate. Mate. <laughs> exactly. Um, and and then they got into all of this uh, uh, this trouble with their supply. They were into suspension for what seemed like an ages at the time. What was it? Ten days or so? Mate, it was even longer. I want to say it might have been a three or four weeks. That's I think a long over time. Christmas and January this year. Okay, and they they came back onto the market and then thud. Um, they raise some money. Shares have sort of been creeping back up again. And then, out of the blue, they go into <laughs> suspension again. Chinese oh, regulators suspending the export license of their Melbourne canning facility that they had only just purchased. <laughs> so shares, bang, all the way down again. Mate, tell me, what, are we, what do shareholders do with Bellamy's? Well, so, <laughs> I want to take half a step back just for a second to talk a little bit more about this story. This was the stock in 2015 and 16. This was the stock. As you said, InfoFormula was white gold. You couldn't get enough of the stuff. Yep. Investors couldn't get enough of the stuff. Exporters couldn't get enough of the stuff. Mm. This is a $1.40 share price mm. at the end of 2014. That's less than three years ago. Yeah. Right? August 2014. It got to a high of $14.52. That's a 10 bagger, yeah. right? Yeah. And now it's sitting at $6.40. That's and so this is no, yeah. look, it's still roller coaster, right? It's yeah. still up probably four times on, on the original IPO price. Yep. So if you've got some shares, then you're still doing okay. And you held and strong. And there's probably a lesson still. there too, yep. right? About the, the value of long term shareholding. Totally. But geez, it's been a roller coaster. Yeah. Um, and, and frankly, in between that $14 and $6 share price, it feels like it was four bucks. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's up even 50% since those lows. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's this, right. This is, oh man. I, I don't know if there'll ever be a book written about this. I'm not sure it's interesting enough to read a book about, but geez, the story is just fantastic. There is a lot of lessons in there. So, so there was, you know, there's the old, there's the old story about 1% of China. You know, if if I could get just 1% of China, I'd be rich. Yep. And so when Bellamy's goes to China, both directly and through these Daigo exporters, Mm. It was the best thing since sliced bread. And yeah. people were thinking well, about- Well, they weren't even just saying if we get one. I mean, they were getting some real traction. I mean, right, stuff right. was flying off the shelf. They were actually selling it. Profit and sales, you know, growing. And so people were thinking, well, what if this, maybe this could be huge. Mm. And so all of a sudden, everybody, everybody piled into this stock, right? Yep. And, and it was supposed to be the best thing ever. The problem was that there wasn't any real certainty about the level and sustainability of that demand in mm. China. So mm. yes, things were flying off the shelves, but to, to use an old phrase, you know, was, was it Coke? Or was it a fidget spinner? Mm. And that's that's the key thing, right? For those listening who don't know what fidget spinners are, congratulations. You've, you've, avoided, you've avoided that craze. <laughs> if you've got um, if you've got small kids or, or even school age kids anywhere near you, you've seen those little three so three sided little spinny things that they're all playing with these days. That's a topic for another day, mate. It is, there it is. is an economics lesson in there. Well, yeah, and so so for those a little bit a little bit past the fidget spinner stage, think of the yo yo, right? The fad and, and the, the boom and bust of the yo yo. Bellamy's was was the biggest thing ever until it wasn't. Mm. And this is this is the real lesson for shareholders. Now the company was suspended over the new year. 
basically because they didn't know what the hell was going on. They bought a whole lot of stock. They couldn't sell it. They had to pay some bills. Mm. They didn't have the cash to pay the bills. The suppliers had them by the, you know, you know what's. And, and that was the real challenge is what do you do next as a, as a business? They had to basically sell their souls to the suppliers to get out of that trading suspension to avoid effectively being taken to the wall. If the suppliers had said, no, screw you, pay us the money, mm. they literally wouldn't have had the cash to do it. It would have been the end of Bellamy. Yeah. Now, they managed to negotiate some very favorable deals for their suppliers. Mm. Bellamy stayed alive. China said, well, you can only export stuff to us if you own your own canning facility. Mm. Bellamy's back in the day, again, part of this story, they were supposed to be this wonderful business, great brand, no manufacturing facilities. So super so capital light. Capital light, right. Yep. Capital light means no money required to run the business. Well, someone much. else yep. someone else does the, you know, milks the cow, someone else uh, dehydrates the milk, mm. someone else cans it for you. Yep. You, you, you basically your control brand the brand. Yep. And, and it's a great model when yeah, it works. When it the works, problem yeah. is they didn't control any of that supply chain. China said, hey guys, how about you don't import anything into China until you've got that? Bellamy said, great, we'll do that. Mm. And then about what? Maybe only a month, mm. maybe a month and a half after they announced they bought this camper down canning facility, uh, the Chinese government said, "Well, we've had some complaints about it, and we're shutting you down." Yeah. And so this is this is there is so much here. There is there's customer concentration. There's yes. regulatory risk. There is you know dangers we, of extrapolation. We like yeah. capital light businesses. They they're great businesses in theory because that you get a really really high return on equity, which is fantastic. But it means you don't have anything really solid to support the business itself. And so when these things happen, yeah. you have nothing to fall back on. You can't fall back on your manufacturing facilities. You can't fall back on mm. anything. You, you are at the absolute mercy of people who would otherwise do you harm. Now, what happens from now? It's $6.40 a share price. As I said, fourfold higher than listing. Yep. More than less than half of what it was at its peak. It's an open question. And we don't, we don't yet know. The real question for Bellamy's is very simply, how big is the ongoing Chinese demand? And if mm. the answer is it bounces back to to previous levels, then the shares are cheap at this point. Oh, the cheapest chips. If yeah. if it becomes a story of well, Bellamy's was a flash in the pan and never like the fidget spinner, like the yo-yo to be to be repeated mm. again, um, then just maybe it's still expensive. And I think that's the real question for for current shareholders and prospective shareholders. If you're looking at Bellamy's, the hope has to be that it recovers. If it doesn't recover, then you're in trouble. Yeah, and let's not forget it's trading on 24 odd times their existing earnings. So there's there are despite the, the the fall and the pullback that it's had, there's a lot of growth baked into that. So that's a lot of you need to be yeah you need to be you need to be careful with that one. Motley Fool Money financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple m. Speaking of stocks you need to be careful of, <laughs> yes. um, this is a much older business. Myers has been around forever and a day, um, one of the big department store chains here in Oz. Yep. And they had their worst day ever in terms of uh, percentage terms with the shares down 10%. So uh, the group downgrading its forecast, talking about continued weakness in retail trading conditions, uh, some big one-off write-downs. And a surprise departure of one of uh, one of the senior management team as well. So the the market did not like this, and it, I guess the the you and I are a bit of a sucker for a share, falling share price. It sometimes can mean a bargain, other times it can mean a value trap, and it could just mean throwing good money after bad. <laughs> yeah. So I guess when something like this happens, there's, mm. there's the question is: is this an opportunity to be taken advantage of, or is there more pain to come? And I wouldn't buy this one with your money. <laughs> What do you reckon? Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I, I think this isn't... With retailers, you've always got to go into it knowing that there's going to be a cyclical kind of ride. It's the nature of the beast. It's just not a smooth operation. It's a very, very tough business. But there's something far more 
um, structural going on with Myers here. And I would, I would posit that their entire business model is under threat. Back in the day, you'd go to a department store and they'd have all these various divisions and you'd go there and you'd get everything that you needed to get. It was a wonderful model. But that's kind of been replaced by Westfield and what they've done now. The shopping mall has become the department store. It's a much more um, uh, specialized business, I suppose. And it's one that's had incredible success. It's just losing relevance. Yeah. And combined with that, now you've got this online threat, you know, dare I mention Amazon for the hundredth time this month, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's all of this kind of stuff going at it. So this, this is more than just some short-term hiccups to my mind. This we've talked extensively on this podcast about things like the newspapers, the, the network, the TV networks, um, you know, things that are just really, um, there's a new normal at play and we can't look to the, to, to the past, their past performance as any reliable guide as to what's going on in the future. So shares, uh, what are they now, mate? You mentioned it before. It's like in the 74, 74 cents they closed. We're recording this on, on Friday morning. On Thursday afternoon, they closed at 74 cents. What did they list at? Well, the first day of trading, they closed at four dollars eleven. Oh, so it's come back a long way, and, and that was yeah. the highest ever share price for Maya. There is no Maya shareholder at the IPO who has ever possibly made money from this thing. It has been an, a, a train wreck of a story, down eighty, more than eighty percent since their listing. Yeah, and you sort of look at it now, and I, I was talking about price earnings multiples before. With with uh, Maya's now below ten, I believe. So again, that that value investor, that contrarian within, sort of, oh, there's a bargain. The market. You know, I remember you and I have had a dalliance with Metcash in the yes, past, indeed. which we've talked about before. Same kind of issue, you know, where you kind of think, yeah, yeah, I know it's got problems, but it's really cheap and it's in the price, and you know, people are just overly pessimistic. But I think what you and I are both saying in this case is, is that this is this is probably going to go down. For them to get back to where they were, they're going to have to pull more than one rabbit out of the hat. And it's just low probability stuff. For them to go back to where they were, the internet is going to have to stop working permanently. Okay. Yeah, I, I, to, to quote me, life, mate, you took the words right out of my mouth. This is... This is an awfully structurally challenged business. There is, you're right. Westfield is the department store of today. Amazon, quite frankly, is the department store of tomorrow. Mm. Um, Meyer is the department store of yesterday. It's, it's yeah. as simple as that. I do expect that if Meyer and DJs are able somehow to rationalize, so there's one of them left, yep. whether one buys the other, whether one goes broke, I wouldn't be at all surprised if there's room for one department store chain mm. with probably about half as many stores as they have now. Half the in some of the space yeah, as well. Yeah, in some yeah. of the big, bigger, uh, bigger shopping centers. So you think about... They stock a lot of brands that don't don't justify their own store footprint. Yeah, there will always be physical retail of one sort or another. I think. Sure, I agree. Um, but if you think about fashion in particular, makeup, perfumes, that kind of stuff, mm. department stores are perfect. If you can't, yeah. So uh, let's look at Origin Group for example. Mm -hmm. Origin has its own stores. Mm. Coach has its own stores. Mm -hmm. Plenty of other sports girls. Super A. Pick mm -hmm. a pick a fashion mm -hmm. brand. Mm -hmm. I don't know many of them. That's as many as I can name. <laughs> but so so. But the ones that are smaller than that, right? Mm. The ones that can't justify their own store network, have to go somewhere. Yep. And the department store is perfect for those guys. Yep. The problem is that, as you say, half the stores, half the floor space, there is a role for a department store, which is a collection of subscale brands mm. and, and in-demand subscale brands. I think there is a role for that. There isn't a role for as many department store, literal stores as there mm. are, and probably not one for two chains. So you're, I'm going to make you the CEO of Myers. <laughs> you and hate me that much. <laughs> is this payback for buying Myers with your money? Talk about a poison chalice. Oh, and mate, is that, that. So that's what you do. You just say, listen, we're, gonna, we're not going to bother expanding uh, at all unless we have yep. very good reason. We're going to reduce our floor space. Yep. We're going to open up the, exist the remaining floor space to those subscale uh, retailers. Yep. We're just going to really uh, scrap our brands in particular. We're really just sort of um, subleasing our space to other retailers yeah, and clipping the ticket along which is the kind way. Of all, all, uh, that's exactly what a department store is if you think about yeah. it. Think about it, you walk around a department store, you see the Ben Sherman section over here, mm -hmm. the Windsor Smith section over there, the 
assassin bide section over there mm-hmm. you know it, it is exactly a couple of racks yeah. of a particular brand that's what you're they're effectively subleasing it now that's what retail kind of is right you take you take the, the wholesale goods you sell them at retail yeah it, it's not exactly calling us subleasing the brand but that's mm. effectively what you're doing so yeah. yeah exactly that i think if you have those brands there are a number of strong enough brands that can survive on their own bat yeah um, electronics is not going to work for them Book retailing is out. Oh, Electronics uh, retailing is probably out. Yeah. Um, Even uh, the cosmetics, DVD, I think, CDs. to some extent, like the price lines in the chemist warehouse of this world, I'm mm. sure they've taken a very big chunk I'll away totally. from Myers and yeah. DJs. Yeah, um, yeah there, there is simply not enough business left for, for, for these guys in their current state. If you make me see if my mate and DJ still exists, I have no confidence I can fix the business. Yeah. If you said to me, look, I'll make you a CEO of the combined business and, and I can close some stores, mm. I, I would probably close somewhere around two-thirds, three-quarters of the stores. See, there's the other thing. There's there's the surviving and there's actually growing at a rate that's right. going to justify any investment oh, in this thing. And, and particularly from this point. you know, yeah. I, I, you know I, think, I think there is a, a viable department store business at some point of a certain size. Mm. Do I feel comfortable buying shares at 74 cents and expecting to make money? No, absolutely not. Picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. Indeed. Good way to put it. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's move on. Speaking of pennies. Um, <laughs> and steamrollers. And steamrollers. No, um, I know you're a, you're, you're a big FX trader. Oh. You, love, you love to trade oh. your currencies. Foreign exchange Not, is my middle name. I, think, I couldn't think of anyone uh, less likely to do that than, <laughs> than yourself. <laughs> Um, but but let's let's talk a bit about currency though because it all affects us in one, one way or, or the yeah, other. Good point. Good point. And the Aussie dollar is up. Uh, in fact, it's back above eighty cents. Man. The first time in two years. That is crazy, isn't it? Is it amazing? You know what? The, 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 this is oh, this, again. There's a lot of lessons here. I remember very distinctly a year ago when the Aussie dollar is probably around seventy three cents, somewhere around that level. And all of the experts uh, were, were talking. Frankly, I thought the same myself. I thought mm. it's headed lower. If mm. anything, people were expecting it to be in the 60s yep. at that stage. And what a turnaround it's been. So uh, obviously, it's uh, good for importers, bad for exporters. The RBA would probably posit uh, net negative for the country as a whole. Yeah, Makes us less right. internationally competitive, all yep. things being equal. At least for exporters. So oh, there's a lot There's a lot to go with here. So the first yep. thing is, I suppose, it was probably the RBA that spurred that increase. Tell us a bit about that. Oh, look, it was to some degree. I think if you look at the, I mean, so let's go back five years. Five years ago, the dollar was at a dollar five US. I remember it got to a dollar ten. Right, it was a dollar right. ten dollar. It was, it was, it yeah. was. And then only maybe twelve months ago, maybe something like that, it was down as low as sixty eight cents. Mm. And now it's cracking eighty again. You kind of think, how is it possible that much has changed in the world economy to see such dramatic, dramatic mm. shifts? I mean, five years ago it was twenty twelve, right? It wasn't like two thousand eight, nine, in the middle of the GFC. This was well and truly at the back end of the GFC. Yeah. China was riding high. People were using Australia as a commodity currency. That's what yeah. we were kind of yeah. supposedly about. The real challenge has been, and whenever we talk about currencies, it really is you've got to look at both sides of the same coin, right? It's mm. the Australian dollar, yes, but it's versus the US dollar or versus the pound or the yen or something mm-hmm. else, uh, which is the Deutsche Mark once upon a time, but that's mm-hmm. how old I am. Mm-hmm. I remember the Deutsche Mark and the franc and the lira. Um, Gold doubloons as well. <laughs> or is that going back too far? Very nice. <laughs> You're older than me. Just because you've got more hair, dude. Don't, don't start throwing barbs around. <laughs> Uh, the, 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 the story of, of, of currencies is about the two different economies. And, and the expectation was always, frankly, that a resurgent US with higher US interest rates would see that number redressed. Now, mm. there is no magic formula for currencies. People will try and tell you there is. That's your first lesson. You should run away. God, yeah. But thinking about it, there's a couple of things that are going on. The first is the relative interest rate. Mm-hmm. The second is the relative economic growth level. Mm-hmm. Those two predominantly should tell you 
roughly what the directional change of, of exchange rate should okay. be. And it makes sense, right? Yep. If you can make more money having your money in Australian dollars by mm. investing in Australian, put money in Australian banks, for example, yeah. you might be able to get 2% in, in, a, in a fixed term deposit. Mm. In the US, you're getting effectively zero. Mm. So there's the, some reason. The so-called carry trade. Right. So if you're mm. American, you're going to buy Australian dollars mm -hmm. to invest in Australian term deposits and mm. get a higher rate than you get at home. Mm. Buying Australian dollars pushes the price up. Conversely, if you're going to take your money back, mm. you're selling Australian dollars, buying US dollars, that pushes the US dollar up and the Australian dollar down. And that's the basic idea of it, right? Over time, as US rates were supposed to go up and Australian rates were supposed to stay roughly even, we should have seen that, that balance redress. And yes. as, you, as the gap closed between Australian rates and US rates, more money was supposed to go home to the US away from Australia. Mm -hmm. That had pushed the Aussie dollar down, the US dollar up. That was the story. And as you mm. said, eight, 12 months, 18 months ago, that was yeah. exactly what was expected. Yeah. Now, in the meantime, Janet Yellen and the US Fed just can't, for whatever reason, see their way through to increasing rates in the US as much as I think most people expect it, and frankly, as much as I think they should. Mm. Uh, and what that's done is basically people going, well, okay, if the US rates aren't going up, then I guess I'm going to jump into Australian dollars. Mm. As you said, only recently, the RBA came out and said, we think neutral rates are a bit higher than here. In fact, about three, three and a half percent. percent. That's that's eight quarter percent rises right. from where we are now. And so uh, that's two percentage points for the people playing at home. <laughs> that's the easy way you can say it. Yes, I, could, two, yeah. I sound smarter if I say yeah, it. Yeah, that's true, true, true. Yeah, it's 16 <laughs> that's true. Uh, eights. eights. Anyway, so yeah, look, and, and that's the story, right? So all of a sudden you've got a story where the US Fed's saying, well, rates have to go up at some point, but not yet, and we don't know when. And Yellen, frankly, has got a track record of, 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 of ducking the, the hard decisions, frankly. Conversely, the RBA is saying, guys, the next move's up and we're going up from here. Malcolm Turnbull come out and said, I accept the next move is going to be up. Uh, effectively, the RBA and, 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 and the Prime Minister have put the bottom in for the, for the, uh, for the dollar, for the yeah. interest rates. And yeah. so right now, people are saying, well, geez, if that's the case, it's actually more likely maybe that the current difference between the two countries' exchange rates or interest rates, should say, stays roughly level mm. or maybe even gets bigger mm. if we go up before the US does or at a faster rate. So what's the takeaway from all of this then? Is it just one of the... I mean, I tend to take a fairly sanguine view on all of this kind of stuff, you know, trying to focus on the things I can control and <laughs> making peace with those I can't. The Aussie dollar's always been in that kind of camp for yep. me. I don't, I don't ever want to have an investment where... You know, I'm going to be blown out of the water if the dollar happens to go from 80 to 85 <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, what's your advice? I mean, what are we, where's, the, where's the practical takeaway from all of this? You have just, I think, done exactly that, Andrew, already. I think this is currency traders are either really brave or really mad, and mm. probably both. Mm. Um, it's a zero sum game, trying to speculate in currency. Frankly, the last 12 months have shown it's exactly the folly of doing that. Mm. People were saying the dollar was going to be 60 something, yeah. 80 something. And for good reason, um, good rationale, smart people. Just, that's the you know, problem, right? Yep. Is that there's, there's, there is. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. I think the road to financial hell is paved with with, with good, well-intentioned, good quality forecasts mm. that happen to be dead wrong. And, yeah. and that's the real challenge. When it comes to companies you invest in, I think it does, you have to remember that companies with overseas operations, mm. whether they be costs or revenues or yeah, both, they're going to be um, hurt. They are impacted or, yeah. or helped, by the way, depending on which way the money goes, mm. um, which way the, what the reported currencies are. So, for example, a company like Cochlear reports in US dollars, so does ResMed. Um, so, you know, there, there are reasons to there are reasons to take that into account. But frankly... We've always said, even even directly directly investing in the US, invest in quality businesses. An exchange rate movement, if it goes in your favor, is the cherry on top. And if it goes against you, as long as you're a long-term investor, you don't need to worry about yeah, it. Yeah, it'll move around, but it's not going to be the primary driver of returns. Exactly. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Oh, Sorry, I had to do the sound effect. It's it's oh. time for Scott to get onto his high horse and Python, tell us dude. everything what's wrong with the world and how he would fix it, mate. Oh. What's uh, is this our two hour episode? 
Here's what's wrong with the world. Make yourself comfortable. Get off my lawn. (laughs) Tell us what's (laughs) what's what's uh, eating away at you this week. Liam's already turned down the volume just quietly. So as I start to yell, he's just slowly winding me down. I'm currently yelling at the top of my voice right now, but Liam's just managing it nicely for us. Nice work, Um, Liam. You know what I say? So we're coming up to earnings season, mm-hmm. and and that means that companies are going to tell us how much profit they made, and then most of the financial world will compare that to previous management guidance or analyst guidance. Even <sighs> doesn't even have to come from the company. And then they're going to try and decide whether that's a good or a bad result, and mm-hmm. that drives me completely stone. Wait, 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 wait. That makes crazy. perfect sense. You know, again, you're a, you're a uh, fund. You got to be careful of this word. These days. You're careful. a fundamentalist. You know, you're looking you're looking <laughs> at at the business. Fundamental you know. investor. Can I can I say that? Yeah, it's probably a better way of Thank saying. You. you know, you, you're 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 trying to understand what this business's earnings capacity is. You make a value judgment around about that. Surely, surely it matters. How they're, you know, what they're earning and, and how that compares with prior expectations. Mate, I know you don't believe in what you're asking me. And the reason you, <laughs> gave, your, you gave yourself up because you said <laughs> you're looking at the building company's earnings capacity. And that's exactly the story. There's a there's General Electric, the big, the big US conglomerate, industrial conglomerate in the US, it beat expectations by exactly one cent mm-hmm. every quarter for about 10 years straight. Wow. Is that impressive? Very impressive. You'd almost think it was managed deliberately to <laughs> massaged be a, a little bit. Oh, mate, such a, look. And that's not the, to say cooking the books, by the way. That's just you know operationally trying to do things to to deliver on expectations. It's frying them nicely on both sides. Yeah. If not cooking them, yeah. it, you know, there's nothing fraudulent there. But you can any any company CEO can manage expectations, right? Mm. Can can manage the results to expectations. Yeah. If if you tell me I've got to deliver a dollar a share in earnings next year, mm. I can do that for you tomorrow. Mm. No matter what damage it does to the long-term business, no matter how much attention and time it takes away from actually running the business, the CEOs and CFOs who sit in the room and go, "Jesus, how do we how do we deliver on management expectations? How do we make sure we told the market one buck? Mm. We're at ninety-eight cents now. What can we do? We'll cut some marketing. Mm. Is that going to harm the business? Yeah, yeah don't worry about that. Or right, let's cut some R and D. But yeah. but we're working on some stuff for next year. Don't worry about that. Mm. All I've got to do is get some of the business month's... we were hoping to book next quarter. Oh, let's try and bring right. that forward to this quarter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Give, give them yep. a discount. Get the sale. Get the sale. Yeah. Um, yep. There is nothing more stupid than, than that approach. And frankly, not only does it do that, but on, on the flip side of that, it, 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 it completely detracts from what we're trying to do. We want management teams to build the long-term value of the companies mm-hmm. that we invest in. Mm-hmm. And so every time they don't do that, they focus on the short term rather than the long term, they are costing you and I money over, over that period of time. Yeah. On the flip side, you, you made the point about analysts, Andrew, and, and when, it, when people are watching this stuff and responding accordingly, not only is it management doing the wrong thing, mm. But knuckleheads who look at the quarterly numbers or the half-yearly numbers and go, they missed earnings by by, by a cent. Mm. That's terrible. This is a terrible business. They're mm. obviously not going to grow. Da, 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 da. I'm going to lambast the entire industry now. You ready? Okay. This, this, I, this, I hope you never want to get a listeners, job anywhere this is, else. This is me this putting myself trouble. exactly putting myself out of a job anywhere. I do not support or endorse the comments of Mr. Scott Phillips. Oh, he does. You know he does. <laughs> go um, for it. Most financial analysts and frankly, a decent number of investors have never worked in a commercial business in their lives. Mm. And so when they look at a set of numbers and go, well, it's not just a smooth upward trend to the right. Mm. Therefore, it's a bad business. Something's wrong. And something might be wrong, to be fair. But yeah, look, it's possible. But you can find yourself jumping at shadows. Can't mate, you? I've I've worked in a million different. Well, a million. I worked in a, quite a number of different businesses been in in previous past lives before I joined this investment gig. And I'll tell you what, this stuff happens, right? Like suppliers can't yeah. supply, customers go away, customers come back, mm. sales grow in a quarter because you have a great promotion or you have a new great new product. Mm. These things happen. They are bulky. They are lumpy. They there's not always a conspiracy time. behind things. Yeah, well, it's not a conspiracy. The conspiracy comes in when people try and then massage the results. Yeah. And and this is where it gets stupid, right? So well, if- I'll often hear th- you know, people commentate saying, "Oh, this management can't be trusted." In in January, they told us to expect this. Now they said, "What are they? They're leading us up the garden path." 
You know, they're, they're trying to, they're trying to um, manipulate the market and all of these kinds of things. That's what I mean by conspiracy. I think what it really comes down to is management teams getting together after the half year saying, well, look, we're on track to this. This is our budget. This is our best guess. The market wants to know what we're thinking. This is what we think. It's, it's just a question of it being very difficult to predict, even when you're with inside, you're inside the business and you know more about it than most. It is blatantly bloody stupid for any management team, unless they have contracted revenues out 12 months. To make a forecast. All they're doing is, as you say, finger in the air. Well, we're growing about this rate. We're booking about this much a yeah. week in revenues. Yeah. Let's assume it continues. Yeah. And it, it is just, there is no rational reason for any management team to expect they know the answer to that. Yep. The old line is, you know, why do ex experts don't forecast because they know? Mm. They do it because they're asked. They're asked. Yeah. And so that's that's the stupidity of this process. If you're, do yourself a favor. CEOs, I know all of our ASX 200 CEOs listen to this, Andrew. Mm. It's their uh, required listening over a weekend. So <laughs> while you're out walking the dog or, you know, driving the Ferrari, whatever you're doing, Please, the for the love of God, stop giving forecasts. Stop giving guidance. Stop holding yourselves up to an expectation. You can't deliver. We know it. You know it. It's just this bloody charade that the market continues with because it wants to know an answer so because the brokers want to look smart. We it off, is absolutely madness. We talked about it last week again and uh, telling everything that was wrong with Buffett, but I'm going to quote Buffett now. And and he says something about when he's when when companies report, he's really looking for two things. He's, you know, did earnings did earnings improve with due regard? I think is the statement to industry conditions. So you know, did they meet guidance? Was it 0.4 of a percent either side of it? But you know, did, did we see an overall improvement in in the quality of that mm. business? And did its competitive position improve? Improve. I mean, you're really looking at those two kinds of dynamics. And if you get a business that, let's say, it's grown its profit at 4.9% this year, mm -hmm. maybe everyone had been expecting six, maybe it'd been four. I mean, it's a kind of around about that number, but the business structurally is in good good position, well placed to grow into the future. Perhaps, you know, um, strengthened its competitive position against other competitors. That's really what you're looking for. Whether or not it, it hit or missed guidance by a few percentage points is irrelevant in my mind. Kill me now. Kill me now. Stop it. Stop it. Well, you better it. brace yourself, mate, because it ain't going to change anytime soon. And we will be, actually, we'll be bringing you a bunch of these results in August when they come up. So we'll certainly uh, I will do my level best never, ever to mention expectations on this podcast. There's, there's one for you, Andrew. I'll hold, I'll hold you to it. Please do. Uh, look, thank you, everyone, for listening. We always appreciate it. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Triple M Motley Fool Money through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And of course, you can go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. That's fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Leave us your email address and we'll send you a free newsletter. Nice one. Until next week, full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.